200 years ago, William Ellery Channing started out his sermon at the First Independent Church of Baltimore with those words. First Independent Church had just been built. It was brand new. It was about two years old, actually. It was built in 1817. And in 1819, they called a young man from Boston named Jared Sparks to come preach in Baltimore and to come preach a, a new kind of Christianity that was emerging, but it, it didn't have a name yet. And in May of 1819, they invited William Ellery Channing, minister of the Arlington Street Church in Boston, to come preach the ordination sermon. The church in Baltimore, and uh, I'll just say, most people here know this, but this is my home church. So the church in Baltimore where this story happened was where I stood here <laughs> and got handed a rose and got told that roses have thorns and so does congregational life. <laughs> By David Olson, who if you remember, dedicated Ailish and preached the morning that I was ordained here. The Unitarian Universalist world is a small one, but. <laughs> anyway, 200 years ago, exactly 200 years ago this month, First Independent Church of Baltimore was from the start a refuge for heretics. Mostly businessmen from the port of Baltimore who didn't fit in either with the doctrine or culture of the established Catholic diocese in Baltimore or the Episcopal Church, which was where sort of the old money was in Baltimore. They also didn't fit with the evangelical movement that was emerging in the countryside and the hollows of Appalachia around the same time. 1819 was a time of great cleaving in what it meant to be religious in the world. Channing gave the, the sermon Unitarian Christianity in the midst of the Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, it's called now, with its emphasis on revivals, emotional experience, and eventually a sense of being in God's plan, a sense of being part of God's plan that extended to politics. It was about this time that upstate New York got the nickname the Burned Over District for the number of tent revivals that would come in. Fire of the Holy Spirit burned upstate New York clean. First Independent Church of Baltimore rejected that vision of what religion should be. They called an educator from Harvard, Jared Sparks, Sparks as their first minister. Reverend Channing, a prominent minister in Baltimore, and the great opponent of much of the Second Great Awakening, he's not remembered well outside our tradition in some ways, was invited to preach at the ordination. And Channing's sermon 200 years ago this month was a call for a new kind of religious movement. Channing owned from the very beginning that his words would be considered heretical to many. But he defined reason as a necessary part 
of mature faith. So this is part of what he says later in the sermon. But whilst we earnestly inculcate the love of God, we believe that great care must be taken to distinguish it from counterfeits. We think that much of what is called piety today is worthless. Many have fallen into the error that there can be no excess in feelings which have God for their object. And distrusting as coldness that self-possession without which virtue and devotion lose all their dignity, they have abandoned themselves to extravagances which have brought contempt on piety. And then he says this. This is the line that jumps out at me 200 years later. Most certainly, if the love of God be that which often bears its name, the less we have of it, the better. <laughs> this is the beginning of Unitarianism in America. Channing titled his sermon Unitarian Christianity. Unitarianism did not exist in 1819. Unitarianism was the slur that was getting thrown at Channing and others. So he named this sermon Unitarian Christianity. He said we are going to own this religious identity and we are going to put reason at the heart of it. Within just a few years, a new denomination had started to form, had started to organize. First Independent Church of Baltimore became First Unitarian Church of Baltimore. I think that's why Baltimore gets to call itself First Unitarian and all the other First Unitarians <laughs> in the world should be second, third, 98. <laughs> it would be revisionist to claim that there weren't problems, that there aren't problems with Channing. Um, the Baltimore Sermon and Channing's writing generally is, is representative of the time and culture he was writing. And when you read it in 2019, it comes off as deeply anti-Semitic. And we can't get away from that. We have to own that that's part of that piece of our heritage. Baltimore, where he was preaching, the businessmen, were most of them were slave owners in the port of Baltimore. We can't get away from those parts of our history. We've preached about that before. We will preach about that again. And there's a much more um, practical concern. First Unitarian, if you're ever there, um, is built, the, it was built during the Enlightenment, and so everybody thought geometry was wonderful. It is. <laughs> but they would, they would build a new geometry into the church building itself to show the centrality of reason in this new religion. So what they did was they built a perfect cube and then put a perfect half dome on top of the cube. It looks beautiful. It's an architectural masterpiece. The acoustics are dreadful. A <laughs> hundred years later, um, the church finally had some money and they put a barrel vault under the, the dome to improve the acoustics because if you were in there before, you couldn't actually hear past about the second or third row. Um, so, Channing's sermon, he apologized at the beginning for it being long. It was an hour and 45 minutes long. 
So, the next time in the receiving line you're going through <laughs> and thinking, Oscar, can you shorten that a little bit? Just remember that we've come a long way in 200 years. But um, here is what one of the, the um, local pamphlets in Baltimore said about the sermon afterwards. These were the folks that opposed um, the emerging Unitarianism. There is a new church in our fair city for the dissemination of a pernicious doctrine. And by the grace of God, you can't hear past the second row. <laughs> they put in the barrel vault, and then 15 years after they put in the barrel vault, they figured out amplification. So now it's kind of sad, because we've lost that architectural wonder. It's OK. It's a beautiful church. Go visit there if you're ever in Baltimore. So regardless of either cultural or acoustic challenges, Channing and his generation were doing something profound. They were saying that there must be an alternative voice for religion in the world. One that does not see religion and reason as competitors, but as complementary. And that is a lesson we need now. We aren't in the midst of the Second Great Awakening in 2019 like they were in 1819. But we do live in a time when the loudest religions, with a capital R, say that the church, the church as an institution, should reject reason and build walls. That LGBTQ folks are somehow less deserving of welcome because of who they fundamentally are. This is an unreasonable position. Channing said in the Baltimore sermon, we can endure no shade over the pure goodness of God. This was his proto-universalism as well. We can endure no shade over the love of God. The love of God is ultimate. It can't be mediated by either a person named Jesus or a church. The love of God is immediate and present to each person. This week, self-described people of faith, including the governor of this state, cheered as politicians in Ohio, Alabama, Missouri, passed restrictions that would all but outlaw choosing to end pregnancy. Most certainly, Channing preached, if the love of God be that which often bears its name, the less we have of it, the better. The Channing that I knew, though, that I know, the congregation here knows that the love of God is so much more than what often bears its name. The love of God that I know is a love that embraces all, and never more so than honoring individual choice, individual dignity. The love of God is reason helping us to make sense of the world, to understand it, and to try to heal it. The love of God is in the worth and dignity of all, 
the faith that says that people get to make decisions about who they are and who their bodies are. And the love of God is the still small voice speaking in the midst of a whirlwind saying, welcome the stranger. For you yourself were strangers. So yes, if the love of God be that which often bears its name, the less we have of it, the better. That is still true 200 years after Channing wrote that. But we should, like Channing did, be loud about saying that the love of God that we know is different, the faith that we know is different, the religion that we practice is not that. And it is a religion, it is a faith, and it is a love of God. We use different language for it, but we're not going to be apologetic about it. We must not hide from proclaiming the things that we know are true. The hour is too late, and the stakes are too high. So we're gathered today for a congregational meeting. That's why we're set up like this. We're going to talk a little bit about budgets. We'll talk about signage, about the year we've had and the year that is to come. But I want us all to remember this as we're meeting in this room during the meeting. The work of this church isn't simply about what we do in this building next year. We are called to transform ourselves and transform the world. That's the vision statement that this congregation voted on years ago. The Unitarian Church of Lincoln will be a loving community uniting reason with spiritual exploration to unite, to transform ourselves and transform the world. We've come a long way from Channing, but I think he would recognize that vision statement. And so all through the next year, I hope we hold that, that that's what we're about. That's what the signage is about. That's what the partnerships are about. That's what the budget is about. We are about ourselves. We are about transforming ourselves and the world. And transformation is difficult work, but it is necessary work. I'm just going to end with a reading from Mark Nepo, who writes this. Every crack is also an opening. When in the midst of great change, it is helpful to remember how a chick is born. From the view of the chick, it is a terrifying struggle, confined and curled in a dark shell, half-formed. The chick eats all of its food and stretches to the contours of its shell. It begins to feel hungry and cramped. Finally, its own growth begins to crack the shell, and the world as the chick knows it is coming to an end. Its sky is falling. As the chick wriggles through the cracks, it begins to eat its shell. In that moment, growing but fragile, starving and cramped, its world breaking, the chick must feel like it is dying. Yet once everything it has relied on falls away, the chick is born. 
It doesn't die, but falls into the world. So there is work to be done, like the choir sang. Let us be about it. Thank <laughs> you.